So this weekend, we are wrapping up our message series, Holding It Together. We have spent the last uh, eight weeks in the book of Colossians. Uh, It's been a great, great time together. Next weekend, we're going to begin a series called All is Grace, spending the summer in the Gospel of John. The title for that series comes from John chapter 1, in which John writes, speaking of Jesus, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. All that Jesus did uh, had grace as its center, as its foundation, as its essence. So we're going to spend the 12 weeks of summer in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is also the largest collection of Jesus' actual sayings. So if you've got a red-letter Bible with Jesus, letter, with Jesus' words in red, John has the most read. So that's going to be good. Next weekend, uh, Paul Kepis, one of our elders, will be kicking that series off for us. Uh, I will be out as Slinger High School's graduation is next Sunday, and my daughter's graduating, and I thought I should probably be there. So I have a hard time getting rid of things. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just have a hard time throwing stuff away. I guess you could describe me as a bit of a pack rat. There's some in my life that say I have hoarding tendencies, which just seems mean. I just I just like to collect things uh, in case I need it, or in other cases I attach meaning to things uh, because things sometimes form a bond of memory for us. So, for instance, I have this rock that I keep on my desk. I picked up this rock at a rock quarry in Siliguri, India, uh, years ago. I took this rock because in that particular quarry, they exploit children through child labor. And we have a mission there in that city. And so I wanted to have a reminder of that work and those kids. So I have this rock. We remember experiences much more than we remember facts. Like, I don't remember the year I was on that trip. I don't remember the airline I took to get there. And I don't remember the day that I stood in that rock quarry. But I do remember what I experienced. Memory is an incredibly powerful thing. I would actually argue that remembering is a spiritual practice. This weekend, we turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 is the closing of this letter. Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, ends very formally. uh, The contents of Colossians chapter 4 is very contextual. He mentions real people, specific places, and times. Uh, But for today, we're going to uh, really focus on verse 18, though I'm going to read verses 7 through 18 for context. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Tychius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know all about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Omnismus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristocart, Aristoc- it's not as easy as it looks, right? 
My fellow prisoner sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proven a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and Nymphia and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that you also read it in the church in Laodicea, and that in turn you read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Acripius to see, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. That last line will serve as our focus this morning. Three simple words. Remember my chains. Three words that we often kind of skim over, and yet it speaks to the importance of the power of our memory. I think this is a fitting weekend for a conversation on memory. We are celebrating Memorial Weekend. Uh, we remember what we have. We remember those that died for our freedom. We remember that there are those around the world that cannot legally do what we're doing right now together, expressing our religious freedom. The practice of remembering, I believe, makes us better human beings. Someone once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. In the year 2002, my family took a trip to Europe. We flew into Frankfurt, Germany, and drove all the way to Rome, Italy, stopping at sites along the way. One of the places that we stopped was the concentration camp at Dachau. The concentration at camp at Dachau was one of the more sobering experiences of my life. At that camp, there is a memorial called the Tomb of the Unknown Prisoner. And above that memorial are two simple words, never again. It's an appeal to memory. It's a call to action. After the terrorist attacks on 9-11, there was a phrase that was seared into the collective consciousness of all Americans. And that phrase, never again, appeared everywhere. After the Last Supper, Jesus, as he gathered with his disciples to celebrate the Passover, took bread, he took wine, and he said these words, do this in remembrance of me. The phrase, never again, never forget, and do this in remembrance of me, are not suggestions to simply think about events that happened, but they are a call to action. They are a challenge to inspire us to live better, to live differently. So when the Apostle Paul ends this letter by writing, remember my chains. He is not simply asking his readers to be aware of the fact that he's imprisoned, chained to a Roman guard, but it's a call, it's a challenge to not only pray for him, but be inspired by his example and to continue his work. One of the greatest tragedies of the human experience is when we start to forget. Now, sometimes the phrase, I forgot, is used as an excuse 
That happens to be my children's favorite excuse for everything. Why didn't you guys clean the dishes? Dad, we forgot. No, you didn't. You chose to not remember. You didn't forget. Other times, life gets crazy, life gets busy, and we do forget. Like For the last four years in a row, my wife and I together have both forgotten our anniversary. It's on May 17th. We've been married 24 years, and we both forgot, so we both were off the hook. And the only reason we remembered is because someone wished us a happy anniversary. Now, I told her it's because every day with me is like an anniversary, but I, I digress. <laughs> Ask her. She'll be here at 10 o'clock. One year I came home from an international trip with a 10 and a half hour time difference. I was jet lagged severely. I went to bed. And I woke up sometime in the middle of the night standing up in a pitch black room. I didn't know where I was, what time it was, and for a split second, I didn't even know who I was. It was a very, very terrifying experience. Toward the end of my grandparents' life, I watched them suffer with dementia. I watched them as they forgot. It was sad. There's nothing worse than forgetting. I fear that we are in a season of not remembering within the Christian faith. If you've ever read history, specifically church history, then what you know is that for the first 300 years, it was illegal to practice Christianity. Christians were brutally persecuted. They were tortured. They were tormented. They were mocked. Tacius, who was an ancient Roman historian, writes of early Christians that they were covered with wild beast skins and torn to death by dogs as a form of entertainment. Ignatius, who was a bishop in Syria, sometime around the year 117 AD, was arrested because of his faith in order to stand trial in Rome because of what he believed. He was accompanied by ten guards as he traveled from Syria to Rome, where he was taken to the capital, tried and executed in the Colosseum, torn by wildcats as a form of entertainment. However, through his journey from Syria to Rome, he was permitted to write letters to Christians in various towns. Seven of those letters survive, and each one of those letters is, is filled with the charge to his fellow brothers and sisters to love in spite of persecution. The word love appears 64 times. And in one particular letter, he writes, and I quote, Pray continually for the rest of humankind as well, that they may find God, for there is in them hope of repentance. Therefore, allow them to be instructed by you, at least by your deeds. In response to their anger, be gentle. In response to their boasts, be humble. In response to their slander, offer prayers. In response to their errors, be steadfast in the faith. In response to their cruelty, be civilized. Do not be eager to imitate them. Let us show by our forbearance that we are their brothers and sisters, and let us be eager to be imitators of the Lord. So you have a group of people who are persecuted, tormented, and killed for what they believe, and yet their leaders challenge them and charge them to love and to live a life worthy of the calling of the gospel. 
But then, around the year 312 AD, something significant changed. The Roman Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity. And almost overnight, Christianity was legalized. Some say that Constantine looked into the heavens and he saw a vision. And in a vision, in his vision, he saw this symbol. This symbol is now known as the Kiro. The Kiro is the overlaying of two Greek letters that form the first two letters of the word Christ. It also is supposed to be the symbol of the cross. When he looked into the heavens and saw this symbol, he heard the words, With this symbol, you will conquer. He took that as a charge to war. He had this symbol painted on all the shields of his soldiers, the shield, the symbol of the cross, the symbol of Christ. And the faith then that was based on humility and kindness and patience and peace was now the symbol and the power of the Roman Empire. People who were used to mockery and persecution, were now invited into the center of power. And the humble Christian cross became the symbol of the Roman war machine. Clergy soon became obsessed with power, with status, with wealth, and control. And most historians agree that with the conversion of the Roman emperor Constantine, the door was opened to the moral collapse of the Christian church. Because what we learn over and over and over through history is that every single time the church aligns itself with power, it loses sight of its mission, its savior, and its message. May we never forget the simple message of Christianity. We spent the last eight weeks surveying the book of Colossians. And so as we wrap up our series this weekend, I want to refocus our attention on three indispensable rememberings from the book of Colossians for us as followers of Christ that can serve as spiritual practice. The first is to remember the grace of God. This is how Colossians begins. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing through the whole world, just as has it been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. My life dramatically and radically changed when I began to understand the grace of God. That his grace is his expression of good will in the world, freely given. It is not something I can earn or attain, only receive it in its full beauty and kindness. Several months ago, our pastoral staff was reading a book together, and we were challenged to choose two values that define our life. Now, that was a very hard exercise because I've got a whole bunch of values that, that I live my life by. But if I could only choose two, one of those would be grace. You cannot understand the Christian faith outside of grace. Moving down to verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes, For he, 
speaking of God in Christ, he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It was a pure, unexplainable act of grace. If it could be said of me, only one thing could be said of me, may it be said that he understood grace. If I could have one inscription on my tombstone, it would read, his life was one of grace. There is no Christianity outside of the grace of God. The second indispensable remembering that I believe is a spiritual practice is the the remembering remembering that life is sacred or remembering the sacredness of life. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and are for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God created life, thus life is sacred. The word sacred means entitled to and worthy of reverence and respect, highly valued, important, it's irreplaceable. When something is sacred, that is something you do not mess with. Like, to me, my wife and my kids are sacred to me. Like, you can mess with me all you want, you can say what you want about me, but don't mess with my wife. And don't mess with my kids because they're, they're sacred. When I believe that life is sacred, I interact very differently with the world because I believe that every person contains the breath of God. Genesis chapter 2. God is forming man from the dust of the ground. And we read, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. My life, your life, is the very breath of God. So I wonder, am I guilty at times of suggesting that some of life is sacred and others are not? Like I keep asking myself, this question most recently, why is it that as humans we seem to hate each other so much? Like, why is it that we continually create new ways to hate each other? Well, you may say, well, do you know what they did? Or do you know who they are? Or do you know what they believe? Do you know what they stand for? Well, what I do know is they are the breath of God. When we forget that, when we forget that all of life is sacred, the worst of my humanity comes out. I begin to label and dehumanize and devalue, and I judge someone's worth based on some measurement of my own creation. I have a few people in my life that, for a variety of reasons, I've had a falling out with, I have a kind of afraid relationship with. And in my more dark of moments when I hear that things aren't going well for them, I kind of feel this sense of pleasure in it. Don't shake your head in judgment because you do the same thing. That is the worst of my humanity. And so when I find myself in that place, I choose to sometimes through clenched teeth pray for their well-being 
and their success. Because if I don't, then I'm making a value judgment. So, so what do I do when someone hurts me or angers me or makes me mad or offends me? What do I do when someone disagrees with me? What do I do when someone has a different worldview than I have? How do we respond? Like, do you realize that that the halls of government and the university and the church, these were places of rigorous, healthy, respectful debate, dialogue, the exchange of competing ideas. Those are good things. But they're things we're losing because we're losing a sense of the sacredness of life. I cannot look at another person without hearing the words of the Apostle Paul, for in him... All things were created. All humans contain the breath of God. Life is sacred. That is a very Christian reality. When these words were written, this was a very countercultural idea. In the world of the Roman Empire, those that were poor, destitute, sick, cripple, the beggars, they were the outcasts of society. A Roman citizen would never help a poor person. A Roman citizen would never help a crippled person. They did their very best to get rid of them. If a child was born with a birth defect, the child was left out in the cold to die of exposure, and it was legal. Why? Because Romans wanted perfection. Nobody helped the destitute except the Christians. The Christians were the one They took in the babies that were exposed. The Christians were the ones that took care of the poor and the lame and the weak. Why? Because it was the Christians that believed in the sacredness of life. For in him, all things were created. Finally, that brings us to the third practice, and that's to remember the weight of our mission. Colossians chapter 4, verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes three words. Remember my chains. Remember the weight of our mission, of our calling, of our faith. Anything of substance has a weightiness to it. If you've ever been in a leadership position, if you've ever been the head of a company or a business or a group of people, what you know is it's not the work, it's the weight that you carry. Often the weight is harder than the physical work. Jesus understood the weight. As Jesus knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane, bleeding, sweat, sweat turned to blood, the tension that he felt in the weight of his mission, eventually giving his life for the world. The Apostle Paul understood the weight as he was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day under house arrest. He was beaten tortured, and eventually killed, he, he, he understood the weight of his calling. History is littered with martyrs who gave their life for their faith. And when we think about those things, and then we think about the things that we get worked up over, like just, like just hang with me here for a minute, just, just lean in with me. The things that we get worked up over seem silly in comparison. 
Several years ago, before we met in this building, we were over in what's now called the chapel. That was our sanctuary. Towards the end of our time in there, as this building was being constructed, that room would fill up pretty regularly, and we had to kind of institute this practice we called the Northbrook Scooch. Some of you remember it. We would come out before the service started, and we'd say, hey, we're filling up. Could you scooch into the middle so those coming in can find a seat? And there were some that would cross their arms and look at me with defiance. I'm not moving. This is my seat. Really? Well, that's the hill we're going to die on. Or maybe we get frustrated because AJ didn't sing the songs I like today and he gets too into it, man. He needs to settle down. I just... Uh... Or Pastor Mike's message was, that's the hill we're going to die on? Right? When our faith has a weight and a substance to it. And by the way, I love AJ's energy because it comes from a place of passion. That guy loves Christ. Matter of fact, I'm going off script. But on Easter, AJ wept because of his privilege of serving this church. There's a weightiness to our calling. A weightiness that we look back through history. Remember, there are those that gave their lives to perpetuate our faith. So here's the weight for us, for you and me. We represent Christ in everything I do, in everything I say, in every interaction I have with other human beings, I represent Christ in my performance at work. I represent Christ as I stand in line at Target, even when the person in front of me is writing a check and I'm in a hurry and they should have used their debit card. I represent Christ in every disagreement that I have. I represent Christ in every political conversation that I have. I represent Christ in all things. May we hear the words again of Ignatius, a man who was fed to wild animals for his faith, a man who understood true persecution, a man who understood what it was like to give his life for what he believed. Pray continually for the rest of humankind as well, that they may find God, for there is in them the hope of repentance. Therefore, Allow them to be instructed by you, at least by your deeds. In response to their anger, be gentle. In response to their boasts, be humble. In response to their slander, offer prayers. In response to their errors, be steadfast in faith. In response to their cruelty, be civilized. Do not be eager to imitate them. Let us show our forbearance that we are their brothers and sisters and let us be eager to be imitators of the Lord. May it be said of us that as followers of Christ, we carry the weight of our calling to represent him well in all things. So this weekend as we wrap up, I want to pray the famous prayer of St. Ignatius for he was martyred for his faith. Take, O Lord, and receive my entire liberty. 
my memory, my understanding, and my whole will. All that I am and all that I possess, you have given me. I surrender it all to you to be disposed of according to your will. Give me only your love and your grace. And with these, I will be rich enough and will desire nothing more. Amen.